Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Two, Street Candles. Today's installment, Chapter 19. So you were well away from the travel port when it blew? Yeah, I replied, a couple hundred meters. And in your opinion, the uniform man pressed, the shuttle was likely destroyed? Well, I couldn't see it from my angle, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't badly damaged. I kept my face straight and my mouth close to the truth. Essentially, I lied. But your rifle, which you turned over at the door, it has been fired recently. Yes, in the city, Colonel, as I told you. That's how the kids and I escaped. We'd be dead or in the hands of the revolution now otherwise. It is a dangerous weapon, the explosive rounds anyway. The others, though, are strangely weak. He wasn't on a witch hunt, I could tell, but the day's losses to the old regime were clearly upsetting. He was trying to understand what had gone wrong, and I was a witness to some of it. They'd been curious how I could have arrived here when the travel port was destroyed, how I could have arrived here though much of the city was now controlled by those butchers. As I spoke, recalling events, I rather wondered about it too. Those are for use aboard ship or on station. They're designed not to penetrate normal bulkheads, kind of like crowd guns. And the other rounds? Well, there are times when firepower is required. He nodded and just looked at the others. A different soldier asked him something in Seishan, and he turned to me with it. And your ship has more of these weapons? Only one, and I had all the explosive rounds with me. He relayed that information, and the other guy seemed disappointed. We were hoping to find the source of them, the young colonel explained in a confidential way. Oh, sorry. You can have mine if you want. He shrugged as if to ask what one lone rifle with limited ammunition was going to do to stem a war. Or maybe he meant that they already had it and my offer was pointless. Turning over the panther immediately had bought me some trust. That and the whole familian cano thing was just proof of my quality to these guys. Or so it seemed, as the drinks and buzz chew were consumed and the conversation progressed. The fact that it was conversation and not interrogation was a good sign. The older officer stated something quietly, simply, and put down his drink. The other soldiers took the hint and likewise excused themselves, straightening ascots and donning jackets. They said respectful and appreciative things to their host, and I shook hands all around. Takir was still in the hall when they opened the door, and he showed the men out with gravity and formality. I didn't know if they were leaving to sleep in tents outside or if their duties would carry them farther away this night, but I guessed the latter. After this, it was just the commissioner and the spacer. He led me through another door, 
bound in exotic woods and deep green leather. This was the entrance to his private study, he told me, though it appeared more like a war room. One entire wall bore a quilt-like display screen, showing a series of both live and recorded feeds from around the planet. Some of these were static and unchanging, while others showed more rioting and even what looked like actual combat between uniform forces. Several feeds were from places in broad sunshine, where soldiers hunkered down miserably in trenches and foxholes, while others showed them dashing across open, frozen fields. The darkened room was filled with flashes of light and color, expressing a planetary tapestry of motion, violence, and change. The sound was off, thankfully. Smoke? he asked as the room lights, yellowish and subdued, came up on their own. I take an occasional pipe. We have several cold, thriving varieties of mosca here, much safer than tobacco and far better tasting, I believe. It is set to be a major export in the coming seasons. Uh, no, thank you. I've never developed a taste for smoke. It's generally forbidden in space. Puts a strain on the air scrubbers, not to mention your crewmates. Ah, of course. Well, you will forgive me. It is my one indulgence these days. He removed a simple black pipe from a holder on a nearby shelf and proceeded to work with it as he moved to one of the leathery chairs set in front of the screen. Now that I studied them, the war images seemed to be different feeds from the same conflict. Armored vehicles were on the move, and a few of those fighter air cars swooped overhead in one particular shot. Was a battle in effect at this very moment? No one had mentioned such a thing at dinner or back in the drawing room, at least in English, and the commissioner paid these images no heed at all. Either they were all archived loops, or the outcome of this conflict was a foregone conclusion. I sat near the older man and just waited. He seemed to like that, and I wanted him in a good mood. It was possible that this was as much a test as it was a genteel meeting of the minds. He opened a round jar of black, shredded mosca on a short table at his side, then set out a few small metal tools for his pipe from a leather case, smoothly and ritualistically. He simply took his time with it all, as if there was plenty of it left. Eventually, I decided that blinking first was my best move. My apologies in advance, Commissioner Vernays. I'm a forthright man. It's both a strength and a weakness. As you know, I'm looking for some people, my captain and our ship's broker. I don't know where they are right now. I have had reports of them, he replied quickly as he pinched up some shreds from the jar and filled his pipe. Your crewmates are being held in finery. Details are poor. As you can imagine, our resources are strained. Of course, but any information would be appreciated. I paused a bit for effect, as if considering my words. He appeared to like it when others looked meditative. He fought with his one indulgence, going through three long wooden matches, and he waited for me the whole time. Also, there's someone else a particular man and his team. He was going by the name of Alan Small when I last saw him. He, they, are ostensibly a news crew from off-world, 
and I believe they were in this household some 17 hours ago, or at least their comm units were. He managed a light at last and puffed for a moment, bluish smoke drifting into the air like rivers on a warmer planet's surface. It really did smell nice, relaxing and spicy. He inclined his head at my statement. Very good. Yes, this man was here. He and his group. They were brought through by my peer, General Paul Dracqua, whom you just met. There was considerable deference for and no little confusion over this man. He arrived with clearances that could not be ignored. His name is not small, as I am sure you have guessed. I was shown credentials under another name, equally false, I suspect. Nor is he a newsman, despite his charm, I added. Mercenary? Assassin? His people all have extensive training, or I've missed my guess. He puffed some more. It occurred to me then that talking to his cronies had just been the cover required to have a private interview with me, one that would draw as little attention as possible in a large, gossipy house. It was a subtle move and simply sparkled with calculation and elegance. I might have been deeply impressed if I wasn't tired and frightened, but mostly tired. A little of both, perhaps. To match your bluntness, he is the reason I wanted to talk with you. What can you tell me of him? I could have lied, but what I knew was so scanty, so marginally useful, there seemed little reason. I told him the nature of the charter, NDAs be hanged, and what I'd observed about our passengers' interests and habits aboard ship. He wrinkled his brow in bookish consideration. This small, we will use that name, is a young man, middle thirties perhaps. The documents he showed my staff prove his citizenship and birth upon Tyree. He claims to be a stranger to Barlow, but he clearly has powerful friends in the intelligence arm of the government. He claims to be a stranger. He stood then and stepped around the room. His Seishan is flawless, he added at last. Not merely fluent, his accent is impeccable. I am convinced he is a native speaker. His English is perfect, too. I know the Tyree accent. He has one. Ah, yes, well, please do not be offended, but English is easier to master in that regard. It is taught in all the schools, and, sadly, many of the old families speak it at home now. Here, you mean? Here and back in the Empire. That infernal low-speak as well. A dirty little secret, as you might say. No, I am convinced that Small is from the Empire himself, or from a place largely settled by immigrants. A place like Barlow? Perhaps his interest in local events has a personal quality. Yes, perhaps, he trailed off in thought. I find it a bit surprising, Commissioner, I put in after a bit, that with all the troubles here, you were able to find the time to talk to him. Well, it would be awkward to turn General Podraqua away. Aside from the personal aspect, his daughter, as you know, is young Maley, Sindrinea's close friend. It might have tarnished my relationship with the military. So he essentially forced the meeting on you. To what end? That is still unclear, he replied with a frown and took his seat again.
and bringing me in as your own honored guest in front of everyone? Was that a counter jab or a feint? He gave me a close look through the smoke that rose in front of his face. The general and this man of yours were very friendly, he answered obliquely. Alan Small's a friendly guy. He tried to be my friend on the ship, but I'm careful that way. The commissioner smiled. He stayed only a few hours and was looking for certain members of the government, most of whom are now dead or missing, which means his information is old. Indeed. Frankly, it made no sense. He asked after accountants and staff drivers, an officer in the farming department, and even a janitor. It was unsettling because it implies a circle of operatives I had no knowledge of, and, bluntness again, I make such knowledge a priority. Did he answer any questions of yours? None truthfully, no. Enjoying the general's protection as he did, I was in no position to press the issue. Where did they go when they left? I asked, fully intrigued. Small claimed they would be moving on to Corbin, a settlement to the west. It is now in rebel hands, but he said their media credentials would get them in. But they didn't go there? My own information, the other confirmed, puffing steadily, automatically, is that they return to finery immediately. So he's keeping their movements secret. Yes, but he did not seem to understand the extent of the remote monitoring the city now enjoys. This was mostly put into place over the last standard year, as unrest has grown. Otherwise, his story would have been different. Doubtlessly, I agreed, thinking back on what I knew and what I'd guessed. He was welcomed on the high dock when we arrived. They seemed to know him, or know of him, but were not expecting him. In fact, they almost refused us permission to dock until they heard his name. He had friends up there, but that was then. I don't think any of those people are alive now. No, that facility is lost to us, he said, stabbing angrily at the ceiling with his pipe. It was a shock. No one down here believed it possible. Then he stopped considering the high dock mystery for a bit and seemed to take up the Ejoc de Santos one. Tell me, what do you do on this ship? I'm a licensed gunner, among other things. He arched an eyebrow at that and puffed a fragrant cloud. You must have some interesting stories, Ejoc. I have some recent ones I wouldn't mind forgetting. He laughed for a bit, but then trailed off. Truly, I, I cannot thank you enough for bringing my daughter home safely. His voice and manner were unchanged, but there was a simple gray light in his eyes that looked like misery, or maybe just age. May I ask, why were Sindra and her friends in the city at all, and without bodyguards? He took on a sour aspect and held the pipe in his hand, watching the fading glow in the bowl. They were supposed to be at one of the other family's homes here in the community. A small party or something. They slipped their escort and went to finery to see their beautiful workers on the march. None of them will be allowed to roam again, I assure you. If you had not been there... 
If I had lost her... Small hasn't checked in with the ship, I interrupted, because the thought of this frosty, dangerous man becoming emotional was frankly disturbing. We suspected he'd run into trouble, but apparently he just can't be bothered. He held himself motionless for a moment, as if to regain control, then once again became animated and sharp. And what do you make of that, friend Ejok? I chewed for a bit, weighing the data, sifting the sand. He knows exactly how long Griselda will wait for him, so he must not care. That means he either doesn't want to leave, which seems unlikely, or he's got another way off planet. Besides yours, there are no starships currently in this system. It is a source of growing anxiety. Then he expects one to arrive at some point, or your information is wrong. He chewed on that for a while, then added, This small. He must be sure of his escape to have such a plum. His arrogance was radiating. I chuckled. If anything, confidence is one of that guy's core traits. Yes, so like another I once knew. Charming, urbane, an officer of intelligence. But the terrorists caught him out alone one day and gave him a short, brutal lesson in humility. If this small has information of value and is also given such a lesson, it will be lost to us. Us? We're an us now? He waved away the comment as superfluous and continued. Your ship is out of reach, in the hands of the insurgents. Not quite. It hasn't been boarded yet. We didn't make that part easy for them. Additionally, I understand there's some factional conflict up there now. Ah, you are well informed. How are you doing that? The seculars and the orthodox, uh, the blues and the blacks as you named them earlier, they have a common enemy in the state, but if anything, hate each other more. They are alone in orbit now. It does not take much time for the old differences to become important again. This is happening in other places as well. Commissioner, from one blunt man to another, do you really believe your government can contain this anymore? No, he answered quickly and with a clear gaze. This is not the conversation I would have with anyone you met tonight, but the truth is, the government has all but fallen. My fellows are pedigreed to a fault and simply cannot imagine it. I am as well, perhaps, but I have seen a bit of the galaxy. It would be time for us to leave this world, if that were at all possible. You need a plan, then. His brows were knitted, his eyes focused on me, and he puffed smoke like a factory. Your proposal is to locate this Ellen Small. Well, no, I can't see value in that. Not after this conversation. He has a way off world. We can count on that. He certainly does. But it's hidden now and likely beyond our control. I can't see wasting time with it. I see your reasoning. Then your ship must be our primary focus. My captain must be our focus. I replied. I have crewmates down here, but I don't know if they're still alive. Do you? As of this afternoon, they were. 
He touched a hidden control embedded in the arm of his somber, leather-like chair, and the frenetic quilt action of the wall screen changed to a simple image gallery. He zoomed into a series of thumbnails, each annotated in scrolling Seishan I couldn't read. He clicked on one, and it blew up to a short, grayscale vid, only seconds long, which looped automatically. It showed two stumbling figures, flanked by a unit of armband wearers with rifles, moving from a ground vehicle to a door in a large fenced facility of some sort. That is a government building in finery, or rather it was. It has been, uh, liberated, as these rebels like to say. He stopped the playback on a single image and zoomed in. Carmi was facing away from the camera, but her dreads were plainly visible, as was the side of Dell's face, which looked swollen and bruised. Which faction has them? The seculars. Blues. Presumably the rebels are attempting to get the ship's command codes out of your captain. Well, that's a very dangerous game, I replied. Appropriating ships isn't just considered theft in Ainspace, it's piracy. Fleet wouldn't stand for it. He wrinkled his brow a bit and commented, I had not considered that. If the seculars have indeed been receiving surreptitious help from your alliance, they would hardly risk its wrath in this way. Would the orthos? Possibly. They are zealots. Practicality is not a virtue to them. As I think of it, this could be the source of their conflict above. If the blacks had the ship and the codes, well, they would have the ship, but would also draw the ire of the Alliance, something the seculars cannot allow. It may be possible, then, that the Blues brought your people down here to keep them out of the hands of their rivals. The Orthos, in turn, would seethe at being denied such an advantage. Advantage? You mean having a freighter of their own to bring in off-world Miltech? Just so. Do you have the resources to get my people out of that facility? I was studying the loop as it played over and over again. But the area it depicted, paved, squalid, fenced, looked just like any other in the city. I do, he hedged, but... Utilizing them would require the confidence of people that I frankly would not trust for a mission as socially repugnant as bailing out, as you might say. We have all been eyeing each other, waiting to see who will break first. I have been especially vocal on the subject of patriotism. It makes me less suspected, perhaps, but there is no one in the military I could approach safely. Well, we'll need a team to get them out. I could try it alone, but that's not a good bet. No, but as I think of it, there may be another way. The key is the president. That one took me completely off guard. The president of Barlow would help us? I've seen that guy in the vid many times since we dropped in system. He looks like he's actively trying to keep the government in power. Why would he help anyone leave? The commissioner shook his head with a wry smile, then knocked his pipe out into a deep tray near his elbow. Unless you were watching some rather old broadcasts, my boy, 
I doubt very much that you have seen the president of Barlow on any vids. He retains an extended unit of body doubles, men trained and gene-sculpted, to pass for him in nearly any situation. At first, they were just for public events. Bit by bit, it became a matter of policy. Now he sometimes seems to be in several places at once. A particular set of them, uh, we jokingly refer to them as the happy triplets, have actually been running the day-to-day -day affairs of the government for nearly a year. The real man has gone into hiding. But the fighting, yesterday, outside his bunker, that was all over the nets. Ah, yes, that particular double is a man chosen from the military. I knew him once, a brave fellow and a talented strategist. If we had retained him in any sane position instead of that charade, we might have had a chance. As it is, he is still giving the bulk of the combined insurgent forces great trouble. They will be focused on that bunker for days yet. They'll get him eventually, I put in. What will happen then? The revolutionaries will parade his head in triumph through the streets, as will everyone else who has caught the president of their very own. It will likely lead to claims of treachery between the two factions. I got up and started pacing. As exhausted as I was, this was an absorbing problem, and there were wheels within wheels where, at first, I'd only seen chaos. If you don't know where the real president is, do you know someone who might? He smiled and touched his chair arm again, bringing up another gallery that pushed aside the quilt. He set up a slideshow of short vids and some distant surveillance stills, showing a group of people walking in a frosty, park-like setting. Beside each image and video clip were statistics with names, birth dates, death dates, titles, positions, and various reference numbers. He got to his feet so as to point out an attractive woman in the group, probably in her early forties or so, dressed in heavy cold gear. Dele Maharn, Barlow's finance minister and officer of fiscal affairs. How can she help? Ostensibly, she is the head accountant for the government. She is also the president's mistress. She went missing when he did. So they're together. I concluded, looking over the pictures and clips. And the whereabouts of these lovebirds is unknown? That is correct. We have looked, but no longer have the resources to squander. The insurgency grows daily, and the seculars in particular are a threat. They have managed to smuggle in some advanced weapons and support. From where? Your alliance, we think. The Senate has been bothersome over the years about Barlow's neutrality. I thought about that for a bit, then looked to the people on the screen. They didn't seem like mutual friends. They appeared uncomfortable together in the images and vids. At best, they were acquaintances or co-workers. One older fellow in a military uniform with gray hair and beard looked to have spotted the hidden video camera. He glared directly into the lens and then called someone on a throat mic. I pointed him out. Oh, that one is dead now. It is he who I mentioned, assassinated by the Orthos two years ago. General Bacon, 
head of military and civil intelligence, presidential security, and an organizer of secret death squads. A liar, a flatterer, a fearful man. One that is better for being dead. Oh, sounds charming. And these others? He laughed once, bitterly, and joined me near the screen. These two, also dead. One whose sole responsibility was the gathering of embarrassing information on important people. Uh, the state blackmailer, if you will. The other, an economic officer, caught embezzling tax money by Minister Maharn and turned over to the good general, never to be seen again. Now the one in the back broke off on his own and began the secular movement, General Zarello Beckis, ambitious and very smart. None of us saw it coming, but I suspect now it was due to outside influence. Okay, well, this is interesting, but it's all old news, no offense. None taken, dear Ejok. Here is something from earlier this evening, four hours ago to be exact. He pressed a button, and the screen changed to a grainy security feed, which he enhanced a bit as we watched. A nondescript ground car, like a van, pulled into a parking lot. The city in the background was misty in the freezing rain. The commissioner zoomed in to give me a better look. Four people in cold gear got out, carrying bags, and walked away from the camera to a nearby building. They stood in front of an exterior elevator door, backs to the lens for a few moments, then piled in when it opened. They turned to face the camera and were clearly visible before the door closed. Small and company. I watched the sequence again, having him fast-forward the video a bit after they left the car. No one else came into the parking lot or left it. Okay, all his people are present save one, I concluded. A fellow named Hap Larendell, technician and reporter, or so I was told. I then called up a copy of the Griselda Passenger Manifest on my wrist comp. Linking it to the wall unit, I scrolled through the images until I found him. Was this man with them when they came here? No. I've never seen him before. I stared for a long time, then muttered, Ejection on cue. I beg your pardon? I said nothing more for a bit, then turned to the commissioner. He's their pilot, which means they do have a ship. There are none other than your Griselda. Believe me, many have looked. Whatever it's about, their mission is not impromptu. It was planned very carefully. Tell me, were there any accidents involving starships in the last few years? Maybe a vessel was destroyed or lost somehow? He thought only a moment, then smiled bitterly. An insurgent attack just over two years ago. They bombed the presidential yacht on the ground. It was a complete wreck. Or something was. How big was it? He pursed his lips in thought, then called up a voice search in Seishan. A range of dated news items and official reports popped up, and he selected one that had video and technical specs. They showed a sleek, silvery little thing resting on retractable feet. 
This ship was rated for four passengers plus three crew members, he told me as he read. That would certainly cover your Mr. Small and his team. He brought up some stories about the bombing and stopped on images of the wreck. It was just a mass of twisted and blackened metal, reminding me of another. That could be it, I declared, surprising myself with my calmness. But it could just be random scrap. Was the investigation closed off, maybe marked as classified? As I recall, yes. No civilian experts were allowed near, and the event quickly faded from the public eye. According to these reports, the murderous General Bacon took charge of the case. And the dates next to those images you showed before put his death at just a week after this bombing. Perhaps he got too close to that invisible secret circle of yours, and they set him up with the orthos. The older man stood motionless, staring at the image, but likely seeing faces and events from years past. If this ship still exists, I presume it would need a hangar of some sort. Yeah, a place big enough for both it and its support equipment. Fuel, too. You can't keep the tanks full like that over time. Most importantly, they'd need to control access to the thing. Maybe a restricted army base somewhere? He shook his head and started to load his pipe again. No, not within control of the military. I would have heard of it. Then a big warehouse. Some place private and remote. He considered that for a bit, fussing with the Moscow. He then brought up the search function once again and dictated some parameters in Seishan. A moment later, a map of the planetary surface appeared, with red dots scattered randomly along the equatorial belt. Storage facilities for Barlow's agricultural complexes. These farms span many millions of square kilometers. Comparatively few workers are required to plant and harvest. It is mostly a robotic industry at that level. Do you follow? I think so. Then there are no people on the farms? Not many. Mechanics and plant biologists mostly. A dozen of each, perhaps, for every 50,000 square kilometers of cultivated land. The lonely farmer is something of a romantic figure here. I stared at the map for a long while trying to wrap my head around that kind of scale. Spacers often have a hard time judging size and distance in gravity wells. Though space is infinitely larger, there's just something about landmarks that makes planetary geography seem titanic. We'll never find it, I declared. Not if they hid it out there somewhere. Not directly, no. I eyed him as he lit his pipe again clouds of the fragrant smoke once more forming a haze between us. Alan Small, I guessed. Yes, he must be located and detained. We can learn what we need under interrogation. That feed, you know where he is? The commissioner nodded, his heavy brows hooding his eyes in thought. Tip your hand early, I warned, and they'll move early, guaranteed. He considered that for a time, puffing mechanically. There was no other sound, 
just a slight searing crackle of his inhales on the pipe, followed by a tiny p as he expelled the blue-gray smoke. We could keep him under observation, perhaps, and move in only when he reveals something of value. His sharp eyes turned to me then. You must do it. Excuse me? He knows you, or thinks he does, which is good enough. You can join his group. Join them? He's more likely to make witty banter than shoot me. He doesn't even know I'm on the ground. I shouldn't be on the ground. He'll be suspicious immediately. Of course he will. He will also be curious. Under the circumstances, I doubt he'd indulge his curiosity. Then you shouldn't pretend it is coincidental. Perhaps you could come to him bearing a gift, such as an idea concerning a certain romance. And then I saw it. It was clear and reasonable, and I had the impression Commissioner Vernays had grasped it from the start. You mean Delay Maharn? He's here to extract the president. Yet he cannot find him due to the social unrest. Things have deteriorated even more quickly than the prognostications of our most pessimistic analysts. President Billings, uh, the real one, fled the city to avoid a direct coup d'etat some few weeks back. I, uh, may have had a hand in such a thing. Not a brilliant man by any means, but a slippery one. How does this help us, then? The military sees Billings as irrelevant now. Forget the past, they say. Beat the insurgents back. I cannot assign assets to this task, therefore, without drawing attention. Men of my station bear a certain encumbrance. It is a counterintuitive aspect of power. This Maharn would be the easiest approach to Billings, then. But I'm no bounty hunter, Commissioner. I wouldn't know where to begin. Underestimation of the self is a weakness, friend Ijak. He wasn't flattering me. It sounded like a warning. Well, what if I do dig up a useful clue? I asked after a moment with a shake of my head. Why would I offer it to Small? He'd never give up his secret ship. Heck, I doubt he'd even give a ride to anyone who wasn't part of the team. Oh, agreed. No, in exchange for this clue, he must help free your people from the seculars. You see, I too believe he and his are mercenary soldiers. After that, he can go about his business while we go about ours. I can provide an orbital vessel to rendezvous with your Griselda, though that would have to be my final move. That sounds like thin motivation. Small is much more likely to trust his own plans than in my unexpected arrival on the scene. Then you must be in a position where this plan is more attractive than those which he pursues right now. To that end, I would say, any effort could be justified. He smiled. The wheels were getting difficult to follow now, and physical exhaustion was clawing at my reason. It all seemed convoluted and speculative, even dizzying. Of a sudden, he seemed to notice my fatigue for the first time, because he set down his pipe and rose to his feet. 
I am an abysmal host, a thousand apologies. We keep by nocturne hours upon Barlow. In English, I suppose you'd say uh, two nights in a row, as it were. You have saved my child and her compatriots, yet in return I have made you socialize with strangers and listen to my sordid speculations. Not another word on this or any topic until you have slept, I insist. He guided me to my feet and then to the door like an invalid. Takir was waiting outside, predictably, perfectly. I had little doubt that the room was properly soundproofed, but the penguin man's wall-like impassiveness was inhuman, and for a moment I was sure he'd heard it all. Until tomorrow, then, Commissioner Vernay said with a smile as he closed the door. The butler stepped in just behind me, by my elbow, and spoke lowly as we walked. I trust that everything is in order, Mr. DeSantos. Not a single thing on this planet is in order. He lent me a guiding hand on the steps, and the walk to my room seemed endless. I really have no memory of getting undressed and into bed. The frighteningly capable Takir must have seen to it, ordering Stev about, orchestrating it smoothly, effortlessly. Of course he did. He could do anything much like the powerful, brilliant, and ruthless commissioner. Nations were crafted by men like these, just as they lived in fear of them. You have been listening to Street Candles, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com or drop me an email at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at Gmail. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The Street Candles theme is called Undercover by Karsten Holy Moly and can be found on dig.ccmixter.org. This production is otherwise copyright 2013 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Street Candles is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead or any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>